Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. I'm excited to preach this final message to you today. Come on, momentum. We've been in this a long time, and our momentum is going to keep on going. Praise God. We've been in this series trying to talk about, man, what does it take for us to continue our spiritual momentum as followers of Jesus Christ, as a church that wants to, I, I believe God has given us a blueprint for how to do church or how to be a church. And it's right there in the book of Acts. And we see that in the book of Acts, they generated momentum that you are sitting in the room today because thousands of years ago, these individuals made a commitment to do what God had asked them to do. And they were committed to a way of doing life, committed to a certain habits and rhythm in their life that generated spiritual momentum that caused tremendous results in their lives and in the church. We've been looking at the scripture every single week. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Remember, Dr. Luke, Luke was a doctor. He didn't know Jesus. He never met him. He wasn't 12 disciple. He wasn't a disciple. He, lay, he was a Gentile. He later came to Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul. And Paul supposedly was on trial, and he needed some, um, some, some evidence, some, some, some uh, paperwork to prove that what he was saying was true. And so Luke went out and interviewed all these people to understand what was it like when Jesus walked on the earth and what did it look like in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came down and the church started. And so Luke wrote all the things that happened. God moved in a powerful way. 3,000 people repented of their sin, got water baptized. And the Bible says they were added to the church that day, 3,000 in all. And then this is the scripture that Luke wrote to say, hey, this is what the church of Jesus Christ was committed to. Now notice the very very first word, all the believers. How many? Not some of the believers, not part of the believers, not some of the believers that believed it was culturally relevant, not some who liked it, not some who emotionally up to it. No, the Bible teaches us that every single follower of Jesus Christ was added to the church and they habitually devoted themselves to the word of God, the apostles teaching that no matter what culture says, no matter what the world says, no matter whether I like it or not, the word of God remains true no matter what. It's the only truth that is on the planet today and that we commit ourselves to not only adhering to the word of God, even when everyone around me thinks that that's not relevant, it's not culture that makes sense, it doesn't work, it doesn't work today, this word will always work if you work it. Hello. And if you commit yourself to this word, it will be committed to teaching the truth of God's word and or devoted, they devoted themselves to fellowship, community. We do this in our groups and other environments, but community and to sharing in meals and to having community together. And they devoted themselves to prayer. That's not individual prayer. That's talking about corporate gathering of worship and prayer. And so they were devoted. This was how they stirred spiritual momentum. This is what the early church did to make such an impact, to see thousands and thousands, millions of people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to the truth of God's word, to community with one another, and to gathering together to worship and pray. And this stimulated spiritual momentum in their life that caused there to be a boldness to share their faith. There is a fear of the Lord that he's not just a, only a loving God and a forgiving God, which he is. He's also a holy God, a righteous God, and he deserves our reverence and our fear. He is, an, he is a holy, righteous God. And we learned that 
The the spiritual momentum in their life came from serving one another. And I don't just mean joining a team, even though we we need you to join a team because it's helpful. But I mean more just loving each other and serving one another and caring for another and meeting the needs of one another. And there was financial stewardship where they returned the tithe unto the Lord. And there was spirit-led generosity where they were giving lavish amounts that cost them something out of because it made God happy and they were being obedient to the Lord. And what we talked about last week is that they made disciples. They replicated themselves. So one of the ways for you to ask yourself the question, how am I I doing in my walk with God? Now, a lot of times we answer that question by how we feel we are with God. But one of the ways you can tell if you are having spiritual momentum in your life, are you sharing your faith? Do you recognize God's a holy God and that every decision that you make in your life, your life really matters? And that we're called to serve one another and love to lay our lives down. And that I'm making good financial decisions and I'm letting the Holy Spirit be involved in my finances. And I am making disciples. How do you make a disciple? Well, you got to be a disciple first. I cannot replicate something that I am not. I have to first be a disciple of Jesus Christ and lay my life down and do what God has called me to do. So this is what we've been talking about. And what we identified last week is this. I want to make sure that we are aimed correctly. I want to make sure that we are aiming at the right objective as a church. Look what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said that there exists in every church something that sooner or later works against the very purpose for which it came into existence. So we must strive very hard by the grace of God to keep the church focused on the mission that Christ originally gave to it. We have to make sure that our focus as a church stayed centered. And last week, I shared this with you. We have to remember that God has called each and every single person in the room to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This first area, this this vertical crosshair is about you and it's about me. It is not the church's job to reach the lost. It is not the church's job to make disciples. It is my job. It's your job to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you became a disciple, when you said yes to Jesus, when you took up your cross to follow him, when you met him and he found you and he forgave you and redeemed you, he says, okay, now let's get to work. It's okay, I'm just gonna go to church and I'm just gonna invite people to come, which is good, you should do that. But he says, no, it's on you and it's on me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. Look what Jesus said here. He said, he told them, you are to go into the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved, but those who refuse to believe will be condemned. He says, we must preach the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, there's no way around it. I apologize. Guess what? I don't like it either. I feel a passion for people that are lost, but do I enjoy going out and preaching the gospel? I gotta tell you, not very much. I was going to a gas station. I was on a quick turnaround to go to the store and I stopped at the gas station and there was a gentleman there and he was got his hands in the garbage and he was looking for cans and I didn't want to assume that he was a homeless individual. So I said, sir, are, are you looking for cans? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, is there a reason why? And he said, oh, I don't have any money. I'm living on the streets. I'm trying to get an alpha house, but I kept peeing on the building and they kept kicking me out. And I said, let me give you a piece of advice. Stop peeing on things. And he said, thank you, sir. That's very kind of you. And I said, what's your name? He says, my name is Ben. I said, hi, Ben. I looked in his eyes and I could tell. The Holy Spirit says, Ryan, I want you to give him some cash. So I, gave him, I happen to have cash in my pocket, which never happens. I gave him the cash. And I said, sir, I said, tell me about your life. 
And I began to tell him about Jesus and said, hey, do you know Jesus loves you? I said, you know what? He's not going to change your shopping cart situation, but he's going to change your heart. Often in scripture, he would heal their heart before he would heal their body. I said, Ben, did you know God's got a plan for you and he loves you? Let me pray for you. Here I am standing in the Edsel parking lot with my hand in the guy's heart, praying for him. Do you think I enjoyed that? Do you think that I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get up today and go talk to a potentially homeless guy in the gas station. And I got in trouble for my wife because I was late to my next appointment. Do you think I enjoyed that? Do you think I was like, yay, no, I don't enjoy it. It's not something that I'm excited about. But you know what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there is something really fun about it. When you get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's our responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's your responsibility and my responsibility because we are called to it. The other side of the cross here to aim right is again for us, we got to make disciples. We gotta be, we're called to multiply. This is when you and I make a disciple that makes a disciple. We're not just called to preach the gospel. Now when you preach the gospel and they find Christ, guess what? You and I have to make a disciple. We have to teach them what it looks like to serve Jesus and then they have to go and do the same. This is called multiplying as followers of Jesus Christ. This isn't the church's responsibility. This is your responsibility and this is my responsibility. He said, go and make disciples of all nations and teach the new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. This is our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share the gospel. Our responsibility is to reproduce yourself by making disciples. I hate to say this to you, but there is no way around this call on your life. If you don't like it, I love you, but you might want to reconsider what it means to follow Jesus. Because when Jesus found every single disciple he found, he said, come and follow me. And then he said, now go make disciples. Come and follow me. Look and see. Watch what I do. Now go make disciples. And what he teaches us to do to keep our aim straight is we can't just expect the church to do the work. That's the danger of today. The danger of the world we live in is that we can think that, oh, I'm just going to go to church and I'm going to let the church do the work of evangelism. But it's our responsibility. It's our call. It's God's put that burden and the mission on our shoulders to reach lost people and to make disciples. And then we see the other side of the cross here. This is where the church comes in. This is where the church builds an infrastructure to support and equip disciple makers in order to make more disciples. We see that Paul taught this in Ephesians 4, the, the leaders in the church, their responsibility is to equip God's people. Their resp- my responsibility is, is not only to have the individual role of preaching the gospel and make disciples because I'm a follower of Jesus, but as a pastor, my responsibility is to equip you to do God's work and to build you up so that you can go and preach the gospel and make more disciples. What's the point? He says, this is going to continue. This will never stop until we come to unity in the faith and that we will become mature in the Lord. Why do we need to become mature in the Lord? Well, we will no longer be immature like children. This is the point of the church. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching that comes along. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. But instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow so that the whole body of this, my favorite part, this is the point of why we're doing this. This is the goal of our church so that we can be healthy. And healthy things grow. And healthy things are full of love. Ryan, why'd you name 
Love City Church right here. And so here what he's saying is this. My responsibility to preach the gospel. My responsibility to make disciples. But when I'm a part of the church, the goal is to be equipped and to be built up so that I can go out and make more disciples and I can go out and reach more lost people. Why? Because as I do this, it causes the church to be healthy and growing and full of love. And then what happens is, is naturally, a natural progression of that is that we begin to see people who say, Ryan, God's called me to go and reach this city or God's called me to go and reach that province or God's called me to go and reach that nation. We say, praise God, we got money in the bank. We got a leadership development. We're going to send you out and go reach those people for Jesus Christ. And guess what they do? They raise up disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And then one day, guess what they do? They plant a church and then they plant a church. And we have made a significant impact as a humble little old church. We've reached the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than focusing on just hoarding more for ourselves. See, there's something about this that I need you to understand that this is the objective and the goal. The aim is that I preach the gospel, that you preach the gospel, that you share the faith, that, that, that you make disciples, that our environment is a disciple-making environment so that we can plant more disciple-making environments. But I just got to say something to you today. When I hear this and when I preach on this, there was three responses last week to my message. Number one, yes, let's go. Number two, yes, but I'm not sure. Number three, not for me. And the reason is, is because this reality of what I just shared with you is a massive task. I wanted you to feel the weight of what I was sharing. That's why I left it the way I left it last week. I didn't give you any remedy to the feelings of fear or the feelings of nervousness or the feelings of inadequacy. I left it there because I wanted you to feel the reality that you cannot do this on your own strength. The reality is, is that this is a major call of God on our lives. And there are so many followers of Jesus Christ who have, who have subscribed to the idea that my responsibility as a Christian is to go to church and to attend, but never get into the mission of Jesus Christ. That's a big weight. That's a big reality. That's something big to carry. That's heavy. That the reality is, is that you and I are called to be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ as though God was making his appeal through us. And so when I hear this, I think, man, this task, this call, this thing, I can feel it even right now. <laughs> this is a really difficult to comprehend. I felt it last week too, and I left it there on purpose. I felt the Holy Spirit say, Ryan, let me deal with the church. Some of you might feel the idea of nervousness, like, man, I'm just unsure what it means for my life, or, 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 or fearful, like, what does that mean for me? Like, what do you want me to do? I'm an introvert. You want me to go talk to people in a gas station parking lot? That is my personal hell. Maybe you're doubting yourself, and you say, you know, it's just not just in me. I don't share like you do, Ryan, or I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't I know what to say or know how to say it, or maybe God isn't calling me to that. He's calling me to this instead, or maybe you're feeling like, honestly, it's a bit infringing on your freedoms. It's, it's kind of cramping my style. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, it's causing some hang-ups, and I'd actually rather be focused on something else than this. Like, uh, can we just, like, have you do that or other people do that? Like, dude, I'm going to stay committed to what I'm doing. I just want to be, Ryan, leave me alone and let me live my Christian life. I don't know how to do this. 
I don't know what to do. I feel like sometimes there's more important things. I feel like, I, honestly, I'm just tired. Like, I just, you know, come home from work. The last thing I want to do is I want to talk to someone about Jesus. I'm like, I know, I know you need Jesus. You don't need to tell me your whole life story. And as they're talking, you're like, oh, my gosh, get to the end of your story. I just want you to know Jesus. I don't have time for it. I'm just busy. And I'm like, I just feel like my focus should be on other things. Like, listen, every single emotion that you feel about the reality of the weight of this call is normal. Don't you think the disciples felt the same way? Think about this for a minute. Jesus rose from the dead. He did exactly what he said he would do. And look at these scriptures here. Look what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew chapter 28. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And so the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to the give disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Three times in five verses, the angel and Jesus said, hey guys, I know you're afraid. Chill out. I know you're feeling the emotions of fear. I know that you're seeing that I came back from the dead, and that means everything that I asked you to do, you're probably going to need to do. I know you're feeling the fear of what this means to have a living, real God. And when you go and talk to someone, you're not just talking to them naturally. There's a supernatural reality there that something real is happening when you talk to people. Just a few verses later, it says that the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. They're literally laying at the very feet of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And some of them doubted. The word doubted here means to waver, to hesitate, to feel apprehension, to be undecided, a feeling of uncertainty. These men, maybe they were doubting that, that maybe this is a hallucination or not real. I bet you they were doubting themselves. And the reason they were doubting themselves, because remember, they had just finished denying Jesus. They abandoned him. And if you notice, all throughout these scriptures, not once did Jesus look at them and say, oh yeah, Peter, are you really going to follow me? Sure. Remember, you just denied me. Oh, Thomas. Oh, you're doubting Thomas. Not one time did Jesus bring up the past that had just happened. But these guys were feeling, oh my gosh, we just abandoned Jesus. And now he's here and he's asking us to do these things. I am definitely doubting my abilities and my capacity right now. I made a mistake and I fell short. And here he is. He doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't say, oh, Peter, once you've asked for repentance, then I'm going to use you. No, he just starts talking about using me even though I'm such a failure. And Jesus continued and said, okay. I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. And then he says this to him, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, so you, I'm doubting, I have fear, and you want me to go make disciples. How do I even make a disciple? What does that even look like? Like, did you give me a, text ma a textbook or some sort of like, you know, they didn't even have Google back then. Like, what did they do? Like, like how, Jesus is about to leave. And then he says, teach them. Well, how am I supposed to teach them? What am I going to teach them to do? How am I going to teach them to do these things? What, what do we do, Jesus? Like, what are we supposed to tell them? We've never done this before. It's like we've only been following Christians for three years. Before that, we didn't even know you. Mark actually puts it a different way. Look what Mark says. 
And I already read this verse. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Look what he says here. Then the, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Okay, so you're going to cast out demons. Whoa, Jesus, you want me to cast out a demon now? And in my name, you're going to speak a new language? It's unintelligible and intelligent. Now you want me to speak in a new language? And it gets even weirder. Now you're going to be able to handle snakes. Why did snakes come into this? Like, who's playing with snakes, Jesus? They'll be able to handle snakes with safety? Like, what? And they'll be able to drink anything poisonous? Who's drinking poison, Lord? It's not going to hurt you. You'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they'll be healed. Okay, so Jesus, we, we literally are in doubt of ourselves. We're in fear. You want us to make disciples. You want us to teach them. You want us to teach something we don't know how to teach. You, you want us to raise the dead and cast out demons and speak in new tongues. And for some reason, you want us to get a pet snake and you want us to start messing with poison and you want us to place our hands on the sick and they'll be healed. Jesus, we don't know anything. You say, Ryan, I feel the same way. Well, good. The whole point of what Jesus is trying to say here is this. He expects you to do supernatural signs and wonders. And if you for one second think that you have the capacity and the power to do any of these things, you are mistaken. We need something more. This is what Jesus was teaching them. And then Luke starts his book by talking about the very end of Jesus' time on the earth. And look what he says. In the scripture he's identifying, in the scripture, uh, he, he's, he's identifying what's going to happen before he goes away. And I imagine for a moment that these people, they're, they're counting the cost. It's, it's, I mean, you want me to do all these things? Am I supposed to do these things? And I'm fearful about what this means for my life. And I'm worried about what tomorrow looks like. And I'm doubting my ability and my calling. And I'm concerned I might be required to give up too much. And, and I'm nervous that I'm, it's going to leave me like an like, uh, unblessed state. Like I'm not going to be a blessed life. And I'm concerned that maybe this whole thing isn't what I thought it was going to be. And confusion about what, what you've been asking me to do. And I'm uncomfortable. And I don't like this, and this isn't what I signed up for, and I just feel like I'm in utter confusion, and it appears that the great mission that Jesus put these individuals on did not leave them feeling excited, but rather nervous, afraid, and confused. Left them feeling like, Jesus, you want us to do these amazing things, Brian, you want us to preach the gospel and make disciples and plant churches, and I don't even know how, and my answer to you is, neither do I. That's exactly where God wants us. Look what he says in this verse. He says, oh, okay, once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them. He said, okay, guys, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just a few days, you're going to be blessed with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had been talking about this all throughout his Gospels, talking about the kingdom, and he brought up the Holy Spirit multiple times. But remember, these guys had not met the Holy Spirit yet. They had only had Jesus. They'd never experienced the Holy Spirit coming down. So they'd experienced Jesus, and Jesus kept saying, hey, there's another one coming. There's another advocate coming. He's coming. I got to go so he can come. These guys didn't really understand it. So their immediate response to what Jesus just said was this. Okay, when they, they were with Jesus again, hey, Jesus, uh, when's the time come for you to free Israel and restore, look at this, our kingdom? 
He says, there's a great mission. This is the danger in our church. This is the danger in your walk with God. This is the danger where you're at. That when God says, I call you on mission, and you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to raise the sick, and you're going to heal the sick, and raise the dead, and cast out demons, and preach the gospel, and make disciples, our response is, well, God, when are you going to do what I want you to do? When are you build my business and my kingdom? What are you going to do the ministry that I wanted, God? What are you going to do the thing that I desire? These guys just didn't get it. After three and a half years of watching the supernatural realities of Jesus and God come on the earth, still, even to the very last moment before Jesus left the earth, they were only thinking about how it would benefit them. This is what I'm trying to do with this series. This was the whole point of this Momentum series, to make sure that our target remains on what it needs to be on is the mission of Jesus Christ. And Jesus responds to him with such graciousness. He doesn't say a word. He just says this. Listen, guys, get back on track. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. And then he goes into the thing that I want to land on today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power there is dynamis. The word literally means to take something and create a larger capacity. It literally means to give miraculous might or power that was not there. It means if your natural capacity is here and the call of God is here, the Holy Spirit can allow you to function in this way. You say, God, this is what I have, but this is how I feel the mission of God. He says, that's okay, because the Holy Spirit comes and gives you capacity, ability, might, What would it be like to lay your hands on the sick and they get healed? What would it be like for someone to come up and the Holy Spirit says to you, this person's got a demon, and you say, in the name of Jesus, come out, and they are completely restored of the ailment that's on their life. They get radically saved. Can you imagine that for a minute? I sure can, and we will see it in Love City Church. You'll receive power. Say, Ron, I can't do this. Well, of course you can't. It's the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. I'm not just talking about tongues here. I'm talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need God. And guess what else he says? Not only that, but he said, and you will be my witnesses. This word witness literally means to stand on a witness stand and to testify what you've seen, what you've experienced. But you want to know also what this word means? The word means martyr. And you will be my martyr. That word martyr means to sacrifice something of great value even your life for a cause of which you care about so when the holy spirit comes upon us there is a capacity and an ability and a power to sacrifice something of great value especially life itself for the sake of the mission and the call of god every single person in this room if you say ryan i am a follower of jesus christ the things and the exploits that God has called for you. I want to tell you something today that you, the the fulfillment and the joy and the satisfaction that you will find from serving the mission of God for your life filled with the Holy Spirit and the exploits that God has and wants to do through and for you in your life will far exceed any job, any money, any career, any future, anything in your life. Now, I'm not saying quit your job, but let's realign our focus to remember that we have an ultimate mission and it is to reach lost people and make disciples. 
to see the sick healed and the dead raised and the demons cast out. That is the New Testament Acts 2 church. And the things that God has called you to are far beyond what you can understand. Look at the scripture and this will be our last verse today. John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, who? Anyone. Not just the guy who fasts all the time or not just the guy with a degree or not just the guy who knows the Bible or not just the guy that goes to church all the time. No, it says anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. This is Jesus talking and even greater works. Do you want to know why the church of Jesus Christ has had spiritual momentum for thousands of years? It's because followers of Jesus Christ realized that when they gave their life to Jesus, he wanted to use their life to do supernatural things. And when they just tasted it for a moment, whoa, I just got used by God to lead someone to Jesus. You begin to see God do things in your life and for your life. And you begin to experience what it's like to build the kingdom of God. It will satisfy you in a way that nothing else will. I'm going to read this again and I want you to read this with me not out loud but in your heart I want you to see this anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works the devil has enjoyed a lackadaisical apathetic church for far too long and in North America I don't know how many churches are going to follow suit but we, we are committed to believing that every single person in this room who professed Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, you have a purpose and you have a mission on this planet. And it's not boring and it's, it's, not, it's not fruitless. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. And people are being saved to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ and he wants to use you. Let's use your life. Just stand to your feet. I want to pray for you today. on every eye closed for a moment in a moment as we end our time together I'm going to encourage you if you want prayer today we're going to have a prayer team come forward and we'd love to pray with you there's something in your heart and your mind that you need a burden you're carrying you want prayer for this area of your life come on we want to pray for you and believe for your life today Come on, every eye closed. Come on, you're in the room today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't have a relationship with him. Come on, every eye closed. Come on, just for a moment. You don't know Jesus and you'd like to give your life to him today. Come on, would you just put your hand in the air real quick and put it back down? Raising of a hand and a saying of a prayer doesn't necessarily save you. What saves you is your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you'd like to know Jesus Christ, you'd like to give your life to him, just place your hand in the air. If you're watching online, in the comments, say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Come on, I want to pray with you today. Father, we just pray. Every person in the room who doesn't know you, every person online, God, every person in the room who's a follower of you, God, today we realigned our mind to believe, God, you have called us for something great in this world. Father, I pray against all fear and nervousness and doubt. I declare today, God, that every person here will feel a sense of purpose. 
feel a sense of calling on their life to know there's more to life than this, God, that you've got something great for every single person here. I pray for those, Lord, those who they're praying for to receive you, Father, that there would be salvation in their life and salvation in those around them. That, God, that you would just come through, Father, and do signs and wonders through their life. Do even greater works through them, O oh God. And I pray that this would be a season of salvation and disciple-making. Lord, because life is short, eternity is real, and, Father, people matter most. And we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, if you want prayer today, we're going to have some people coming up and pray. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you today. Anything you need, come forward. Be blessed today. Have an amazing week. We'll see you guys next week as we start our new series, Not Just Stories. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.